Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two track bands step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton whipping out his technological ocarina of plot convenience. <laughs> oh, there's a few of those in uh, the seasons of Star Trek we're going to talk about. And speaking of seasons, we are this week going to rank the new Trek seasons. We have basically finished out the new Star Trek content for 2023, unless there's a surprise episode of very short treks arriving on christmas day is the perfect present but outside of that it seems like we are done and over with in terms of new star trek for this year so it seemed like a good time to take a look back and rank these seasons many of which have very par uh, polarizing standings with fans i think it's amazing we did the final count i i couldn't believe it like i thought there had been maybe 10 seasons of star trek since the kurtzman era began in 2017 there have been 14 seasons of Star Trek cam. That, that kind of blows my mind, especially when we started doing kind of the weekly episode reviews, gosh, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess six and a half years ago. Yeah, and you know, you think about it, it's basically like not episode count-wise, but it's like you had DS9 and Voyager both happen in that time. I uh, No, uh, that was the 1990s, Cameron, not this time. <laughs> How dare you uh, get into time warp? <laughs> I mean, yes, but it is very impressive that we have 14 seasons of Star Trek. Maybe I shouldn't say impressive. Uh, I, I guess I admire that they've cranked out so much. It's notable. <laughs> it's notable. It is yeah. something worth noting, all of you, that this much Star Trek was produced in a very short amount of time. And why don't we just start it off, Tyler? We've got 14 seasons. Why don't we start at slot number 14? What is the worst season of New Trek? Are, are we going to be on the same page here with... Uh... I don't know. We'll say it at the same time on the count of three. Uh, yeah. One, two, three. Uh, Picard, Picard season, season two. two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I don't know how to comprehend what unfolded there. Whenever I'm on the uh, Star Trek Facebook groups and there are people jumping in saying how much they love that season, the thing that I always see them sharing is like, the, uh, like a photo of Q hmm. and yeah. often a photo of Q hugging Picard at the very end. People are like, this is such a great season of Star Trek. And I'm like, um, well, it was from a mechanical perspective, uh, objectively, uh, just saying, like, just poorly written, as if people that have never written for television before constructed something here. And that's what we got. And now there could be moments that people liked or the appearance of familiar faces that folks liked, but it was a pretty nonsensical story. And you know how, like, the Marvel television universe, they, they've kind of done like a big turnaround, or at least they're going to try to. Huh. And they've realized that, hey, maybe putting people with movie experience in charge of TV shows, it doesn't quite work. You know, mm. everybody likes to talk about how we're making a 10-hour movie here. And I think the folks are, at least over at Marvel, are discovering that that doesn't actually work. That That's not actually doing... Uh, television for the sake of television, like like really seizing upon, which is a very cool medium and and one that it, it is distinct from cinema. And I I think it's not being put to its best use. And I think we found a, a Star Trek. Um, we'll go through our list here, but I, I think you and I have uh, liked their efforts to do more of these episodic shows. And when they jump into that, I I think that's when Star Trek's been at its best over the last fourteen seasons. It's funny, like to me when I look at Picard season one. It is a messy show, but it seems like semi-confident in itself. Like it has a story, a somewhat jumbled story, but it believes in kind of the story it's telling. When I look at Picard season two, I see a show that has no confidence whatsoever. And it's just kind of like tossing things around. You mentioned the writing is very amateurish, but the production of it just looks amateurish. I think of that scene where you have, you know, Brent Spiner's Sung relative like throwing like a explosion down or something and like racing out of a room uh towards the end of the season and it's like first off this is like a i don't know like 70 year old man but it's staged in a way that seems so amateurish and does not live up to what i think like star trek especially in the new era has a pretty high production quality level and a lot of picard season two looks cheap or fake i i just am completely 
baffled by this entire uh, you know ten episode run of episodes because I just don't understand kind of how it happened, and I did have to kind of like grapple with myself a bit, debating is this the worst season? Because it's not the most boring season. I think there's like maybe one or maybe two above this one in my rankings that are actually more boring. But Picard season two, I just can't excuse. It's like, um, you know, when like you mentioned some of those Marvel shows, like when I'm watching Secret Invasion, I'm like, this doesn't even seem like professional television. And that's how I felt about Picard season two. I, I, I think the word we're looking for here is Picard season two is incompetent. Yeah. And at least with season one of Picard, uh, Michael Chabon, uh, he had been like a showrunner before and he was a showrunner for season one. He did that miniseries with his wife that I really liked. Uh, I believe it was called uh, Unbelievable, uh, starring Caitlin Deaver, who is also like a, a great actress. And so you, you had like a great presence in her kind of anchoring the show. And you have a great presence in Patrick Stewart anchoring a new Star Trek show. But this, this didn't feel like Jean-Luc Picard. And people kept saying like, oh, that, that's called character growth. I'm like, no, it's called Star Trek Patrick Stewart, not Star Trek Picard in this particular situation. And it was just disappointing. You jump over to Picard season two, and you don't even have a professional television showrunner. It's uh, uh, Akiva Goldsman, who, like he worked on the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery, but he was never a showrunner there. Yeah. And the other thing, and I... If we can cut them a little bit of slack, though, is COVID happens and they had to rewrite everything at the very last minute. And they also had to realize, like, okay, well, we need to have a lot of time on location to make sure that, um, you know, (laughs) the actors are keeping safe distances from each other instead of being on some sort of closed encased set like a, a starship, you know, and... Well, this is this is what we got. This was the end product. And, and I think there's just so many things going against it. Mm-hmm. I, I This is going to be an artifact that will be examined um, for a long, long time to come about how not to do television. And I think this one did Star Trek dirty. Um, this, for me, is the worst season of the new era of Star Trek. Cam, um, is this worst season of Star Trek for you, period? Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that, like... Boy, in terms of like, you know, filmmaking, yes. Um I think so. Yeah, I don't I don't know that there's anything I would put lower. It was just so incompetent, but like you said earlier, like it, it wasn't like we found this entertaining. It, it was more like um we couldn't look away. Like there are other seasons that have been more boring, yeah. but this was more just like our eyes open, could not believe what was unfolding. You and I had a lot of fun podcasting during that season, uh, just making fun of the show and ridiculing it for all of its mistakes. Uh, I think I've watched the season now three times, so I feel confident, like, <laughs> uh, like I've given as many shots as I can. I can't picture myself returning for a fourth time unless I really, really have a yearning to go back and uh, re-listen to our podcast episodes in which we were ridiculing it. <laughs> well, we'll see if you can uh, fight off that temptation to do so. So why don't we? I mean, jump... I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> why don't we jump to slot number thirteen? Maybe this one we've got a split. We'll see. What's your number thirteen? Uh, this is Star Trek Discovery season four, the last season of Star Trek Discovery yeah. uh, that we just watched, but it's the penultimate se- uh, season of the series overall. Um, you know what? Like, I I can't say that it was. Um, incompetently made in the fact that they understand you know the start of a story the beginning of a story and the end of a story that they have those basics down the uh, production values are quite good Um, there are some interesting performances going on but i think the issue here is it is the most boring season of star trek i've ever witnessed in my life Mm -hmm. it just felt so flat and lifeless I rolled my eyes so many times. Cam, you and I were podcasting Picard season two week to week. It was never a question that we were going to stop doing that. We had to stop podcasting Discovery season four week to week and just had to bunch the episodes up. And like, I think we're doing it like, you know, two or three episodes altogether for one of our podcasts. You know, I I just wanted to tear my eyes out. I was just so bored watching something that I, I just can't believe that you have the Star Trek universe at your fingertips and you want to tell 
such a boring slog of a story that you just gotta drag everything out and this could have easily been condensed into like maybe a uh, a three episode arc by you know kind of the standards of star trek enterprise season four yeah i have this one also at number 13 unlucky number 13 and this should have been like an eight episode season maybe then like it may not be firing on all cylinders, but I think it would be less of a just absolute slog to get through. And it's a real bummer because I think one of the things that Discovery has struggled a little bit, especially in season three, was like a compelling villain. And Tarka was that villain that could have really clicked in season four because he had a motivation I think anyone could understand. You had a pretty solid episode explaining his backstory. And then that story about that antagonist just got kind of swallowed up in a lot of like moving parts that weren't particularly interesting because they basically just had to kill time to stretch it over 13 episodes so that we could delay, you know, meeting up with Species 10C. We had a lot of battle stuff at the end that was really uninteresting. And I just don't know if they ever quite realized maybe how strong an antagonist they had. It feels like they almost didn't and were trying to like, I don't know, distract the audience with other shiny things instead. Well, eh. The issue with Tark is you had like a great actor doing some cool things in the first half of the season, and then it's the worst thing that ever happens in television writing is you make characters take stupid pills just to push the plot along. And the best shows out there, the ones that I love the most, is where the plot services the characters, not the other way around. You know, um, in like the, the plot is put forward by what the characters would actually do in these circumstances versus characters having to do things just because somebody wants to jump from you know a point to b point for plot mechanic reasons why yeah yeah it was just a very frustrating season and there was also like weird moments and this may have been pandemic related i don't remember but like you had like david cronenberg suddenly being like well i gotta go over there I'll see you later. And then, like, you had a, another character or two do the same thing where pe- actors were just wandering off the show. It felt like a season that just... Speaking about that confidence issue, it did not feel like a very confident season of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Um, what are your hopes going into uh, season five early in 2024? Maybe that's a question at the end. I actually have a fun question about that. Um, why don't we talk about that just briefly, very briefly at the end of the show. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, all right. So, uh, number 12 here, Cameron, uh, do you wish to go first? Uh, let me know what's your number 12. Sure. I've got discovery season three. Uh, I had to like really battle with myself. Like, why am I putting season three above season four? I think it is that boredom factor that is so just overwhelming in season four. Season three is a mess though, with the entire Sukal reveal, And, you know, we talked about that in our WTF Part 2 episodes at length, so I'm not going to go into it too much here. But it was just like, what happens when you build a big mystery box story for 13 or 14 episodes, whatever it was, and you drag it through an entire season and you deliver just like an absolute goose egg of a reveal? That's what kind of this season was for me, where... I don't have any reason to ever go back because I think the ending was so poor that like these episodes don't stand on their own in a way that's interesting to go back to. So I kind of feel like season three is just like a nothing to me at this point. I had promise. Oh, yeah. I was excited, you know, going from season two into season three. I was like, I cannot wait to see what they have for us. You know, it's got a great premise. You know, you have a Star Trek starship lost in time in a federation that has kind of fallen apart. What kind of inspiration and hope can they bring? And then it's just the... the I, I remember getting into the uh, episode in which uh, we land at Starfleet headquarters and like, okay, hmm. this is exciting. And we're there for half an episode and then we end up at a seed vault. And yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh. Okay, so this is boring. I'm sure they're going to like figure things out. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're only like five episodes into the season now and then we're like dealing with like space locusts Uh we're dealing with like um garbage reclamation sites that are used indentured servants and then we get the uh two-parter with 
uh, the kind of the the departure to Giorgio, and it's like okay, that's uh, that's fine. It was okay. And then all of a sudden we have yeah, and then all of a sudden we have the Sukal stuff, and you're just like, wait, this is what they've been building up to for eight or nine episodes, like this, and it's just like it just felt like kind of not a gut punch, but just so deflating. Like yeah. you've kind of invested in what this show is going to be in this corner of the Star Trek universe. And it just felt like a complete waste of your time. Like you kind of felt as if like you had entered into a kind of agreement with the creators of the show and this is what they delivered. And I was like, oh, the, you, you think so lowly of the, of us, if, if this is what you find to be interesting about the Star Trek universe. And we were very like pleased with the second half of kind of the direction of where season two discovery was going. Like it had issues, but we really felt like by the time you got to the end of that season, like, oh man, season three is going to fly because it really felt like they were confident at the end of season two. And I just remember being so crestfallen as I watched season three going like, this is not the show I thought I was going to get. Like seasons one and two of discovery are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but there was moments that I found legitimately like bowled me over dramatically. There'd be big laughs in episodes. And then when I rolled into season three, I kind of, enjoyed the first two episodes you know to a certain degree but then after that it just got rougher and rougher and it was like like what is this show i thought it, i thought it had figured itself out and it was very clear it had not um i'll push back a little bit you know mm. um i'll say that hope is you part one that that it didn't exactly like thrill me you know the the season premiere like sure it, you remember it, it starts off with like berman spitting out water and then she's getting high by accident and kind of a boring chase and then then the second episode it's dealing with you know cowboy in the tavern yeah and i'm just like okay uh i did like people of earth you know uh, episode three and i did mm -hmm. like forget me not episode four in which they uh, are dealing with kind of the the trill symbiont there yeah um you know so I, I i guess yeah maybe i liked episodes three and four more than you did um but like I don't know. I will say four. Actually, I agree with you on four. Three, um, three was fine. It felt to me a little more like a filler episode to a certain degree. But I, I should, yeah, I, I should kind of like correct myself. I think those first four episodes, kind of, even if they're not great episodes, like with the maybe the first one or whatever, the second one, they at least feel like they're pulling me into something that I might care about. It, it feels like it's going somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And then. It <laughs> And it eventually lands at Sukal. <laughs> it always ends at Sukal. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cam, I will jump over to my number 11 pick. Uh, this is Star Trek Picard Season 1 here, in which, uh, like I said before, it kind of felt more like Star Trek Patrick Stewart. And it, I remember, again, it, it, those first three episodes were like, okay, and now the show is about to get the story going. When you get to episode four and you're on that Romulan refugee camp uh, picking up Elnor and you're like, okay, and now the story is going to start. Well, then you get into Stardust City Reg episode five and, uh, you know, Seven of Nine is there as like a serial killer with Bejazel, like the, just such a dumb alien. And then you also have like the whole, like having to watch Ichep being violently vivisected until he dies. And I'm like, okay. Hey, the story's begun, and I don't like this story. And yeah. it also ends. Doesn't it also conclude with Gerardi like killing Maddox as well? And I'm just like, that's right. What, like, what is this show? It, like, it just doesn't know. Again, this is another series where uh, they had to rewrite on the fly. Not quite to the same degree as Picard season two, but you could definitely tell that the show was starting off with another idea of what it wanted to be in its head. And that's why you have references to, say, Narissa and Narek, you know, examining Soji. And and, <laughs> and they're making comments like, what is her plan? Mm -hmm. Well, she never had a plan. It's like, but the writers didn't realize that at the time, you know. So that's why the writers end up, you know, feeding those kinds of lines of dialogue. Um, I mean, it still had an episode like Nepenthe, which I still think is uh, one of the best episodes of Star Trek Picard that we've gotten. Um, and, you know, maybe in... in Kurtzman era Star Trek, I'd still put Nepenthe as like maybe a top 10 episode uh, out of all the things that we've gotten so far. Um, sure, it relies on maybe kind of the, the fan service there, but they're actually putting you know, Troy and Riker 
uh, in interesting spots, and they're they're calling Picard out on his BS too. You know, so mm-hmm. I that, that 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 is why I'm still fond of that one. I have Picard season one in the exact same spot. Okay, Cam, and I think the best thing to ever happen to Picard season one was Picard season two because suddenly you go well (laughs) you know what Picard season one that had some merit (laughs) they had a story they were pursuing and there's so many frustrations with it I mean you have your villain who vanishes off the season without any sort of mention uh it's it's a very messy season but I guess there's enough like kind of moments strewn throughout like episode three where they meet Rios that was like a really entertaining episode and i remember being like okay now we're cooking with gas here picard's about ready to take off not quite but i don't feel as kind of like angry about most of this season as i do about some of the other stuff below it in the rankings uh outside of uh, stardust city rag which still really gets to me but uh it's a it's a season that, like, at least it, it looks kind of expensive. <laughs> it seems <Yeah>. like there's <laughs> production value. I don't like what they did with Picard, but they definitely went in with an angle on that character. They were like, we have a Picard that you've never seen before, and we are going to pursue this. And so I give them points kind of for trying something. Like, season two just feels so watery with the character of Picard, whereas season one seems kind of specific in what they want to do. I just don't really like the outcome of it with Robo-Picard. But it's just such a weird, like, mixed bag season that it has things I like, it's got visuals I like, but it just never quite connected with me in the way that maybe, you know, an equally polarizing Star Trek season might have. This is like if the parallel universe loser Picard in the blue uniform from Tapestry ended up becoming kind of the lead character of his own spinoff. And that's kind of what it felt like this iteration of Picard uh, was focused on. And I was just like, eh, okay. Uh, I mean, it's a funny joke in Tapestry, but stretch that out over three seasons. Do you really want to follow this as your main character, despite having a very charismatic anchor behind mm. that role? Um, I'll say this, the, the data farewell, it worked for me. I actually thought that was like quite wonderfully well done. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think I think it was great what you said there is like the best thing that ever happened to Picard season one was Picard season two. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I, I don't think it's particularly good television, but I am not nearly as angry at it now as maybe I was annoyed by it uh, after it kind of wrapped up uh, a couple years ago. If you were to tell me in like a couple years, I want to do a revisit of Picard season one, we need to watch it again. It would not be like a physically grueling endurance test for me to sit down and watch Picard season one. Whereas some of the ones below this, I would really be like, you know, I think this podcast has had a pretty good run. It might be time to wrap it up then. (laughs) Cam, I don't ever picture myself rewatching Discovery season four. I'm going to rewatch the final two episodes of season four. Yeah. before season five begins but that that's it i just i'm just never going back yeah um so why don't we move on to uh spot number 10 i feel like there's a bit of a dividing line here okay because when i yeah. look at like picard through picard season one through two and our rankings there like i feel like these are kind of like <laughs> i'm gonna call them like the bad star trek seasons for lack of a better word they're the seasons where i'm just like this was not good television and i did not really enjoy them overall i think anything above this is it can be flawed like heavily flawed but there was something i took from it like there was an enjoyment factor there were episodes where i was just like hell yes i am really enjoying this so my number 10 maybe it's controversial i'm gonna put lower decks season four here and i think this was a pretty consistent season but it was consistently unsurprising and sort of pleasant it didn't really feel to me like there was many episodes that popped the way that previous seasons it had. Like I enjoyed the first episode, the Voyager episode, Tuvix. Like that was a really entertaining, you know, half hour of television. But I just never felt like this show kind of found any real sparks through the rest of the season. I mean, these kind of side stories we had, which maybe in a different season would have worked better, like the whole Tendi, you know, Orion backstory. It just kind of felt like filler to a certain degree it never really dramatically clicked and it was never quite as funny as it should be and i just never felt like i don't know when i walk away from lower deck season four you know true story i actually had to like google the finale of the episode because i was suddenly like wait what happened at the end of the season again oh cam well tendy's leaving the ship permanently she's never coming back right right yeah and 
I also just like the whole thing with Nick Locarno. It was just such a like kind of paper thin villain ultimately that it just doesn't like stick with me in a way where it even though this is a half hour sitcom, there are, you know, episodes, especially like finales of this show that have like a real dramatic weight to them that sticks with me. Whereas like nothing that kind of happened even by the end of season four really felt like it had any major presence. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a boring podcast because so far all of our picks are the same. So I, oh, I'm wow. with you, Cam. Lower Deck season four is my number 10. Um, you know, I, I just, it felt like a little tame in terms of storytelling. You know, like there were so many wilder things going on in prior seasons. And this one just didn't quite hit me the way that, you know, like a, a finale would in what you have, you know, uh, one Mariner dealing with her issues with her mom mm. in the same way as, you know, we did in like uh, season one. You know, this one just felt like, uh, as you said, pleasant. Yeah. It was pleasant. I thought the Two Vicks episode, of course, the Voyager uh, season premiere, I thought that was great. And then I was like, okay, this is how they're kicking it off. And, and usually, you know, Lord Dex doesn't get really revved up until, you know, halfway through. And, and, um, I don't know, it just felt as if, like, every subsequent episode after the premiere um, kind of underwhelmed, you know? Or, as you said at one point, uh, it whelmed, Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's not a season, like, you're going to tell your friends, like, oh, that's not a very good season. You're just going to say, like, eh, it's fine. It's fine. It's, you know what, it is, I, I think it's more a forgettable season. I think it's a more forgettable season than, say, Picard season two. Oh, like, yeah. I remember a yeah. lot of stuff in Picard season two um, because of how bad it was, you know? Um, I can't say that about, like, was there a bad episode in Lord Dex season four? Like, no, but there's definitely episodes that made me kind of just shrug after I stopped watching it. And here, here's what kind of worries me, though. It's like, how much more am I going to enjoy it? Not having to, like, take notes and think critically about it um, and more just let it kind of soak in yeah. um, as a viewer without having ca- having to apply that critical eye to things when you're podcasting. Maybe maybe I'll enjoy it just so much more when I grab the, uh, the Blu-rays in a couple weeks or months. My concern is that, and yeah, I'll be doing the same as well, but, like, my concern is that it'll play, like, I don't know, like She-Hulk when I watched that, where it was, like, eating dinner while watching, you know, a 25-minute episode and kind of going like, oh, yeah, that was entertaining enough, and then moving on with my life and completely forgetting the entire episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which isn't great. Well, Cam, yeah. Um, uh, now now I wonder if this is where there's a bit of a dividing line as well. Uh, <laughs> not, you know, between, like, uh, bad versus good Kurtzman, but, like, you versus Tyler. Mm. Uh, nine, number nine here is Lower Deck Season 3, which, again, uh. I... Uh, I thought it was pretty good. You know, solid. I uh, got, got more laughs. That Look, we got to visit Deep Space Nine. You know, uh, that made my heart thump. You know, uh, that was really cool. But then I kind of look at what's ahead of it. And the seasons that are ahead of Lower Deck Season 3 for me, there's stuff going on there that just kind of pops in my brain somehow. Just really is uh, kind of much more tattooed into my memory banks. And so, well, I liked... Um, you know, like, again, I go back to the season premiere. We had the joy of sitting in a room with our friends watching the season three premiere where they are visiting, like, Bozeman, Montana for, like, the first contact museum. And, you know, just fun stuff where, like, the it's actually the senior crew that resolves everything off screen versus kind of the lower decks who are trying to make uh, the Freeman trial uh, resolved, like, with their own antics. Like, that, that was a fun episode, you know, and there's other stuff like that. So... I mean, I liked it overall, but it just it just didn't quite make it, say, into the top five for me. Yeah, I have this one a little bit higher, uh, but I I completely understand what you're saying about this season for sure. Uh, my number nine, I battled. This was the point where I think I really started to fight with myself. And I'm putting it number nine, Discovery Season 1. And this was tough because Season 1 Discovery actually has some episodes that I hold in very high regard. You know, the first... Both Harry Mudd episodes are actually really solid, but the second one, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, is one of my favorite new Trek episodes. I really like Into the Forest I Go, where you get the big face-off with uh, Cole and um, Burnham. Um, where I had to like rank this one lower was just how much of, like, in the time when we were reviewing this show, there was a real excitement. It was the first new Star Trek, and so like there's an exhilaration that came from watching that season that... I don't know if it'll ever quite be repeated when we're tackling new Star Trek, but it was so there for me. But 
when I look back at it, there's so many points where it just runs into the wall. The entire Klingon war, is it just falls apart with that finale, which is just like so underwhelming. You have those mirror uh, universe episodes. There's like two of them that just really kind of wear out their welcome as well, where it's kind of fun to discover the mirror universe, but then you quickly learn it's not that much fun to hang out in the mirror universe for an extended period. You know, you've got CV Packham Parabellum with the like Avatar aliens and Saru uh, kind of losing it. That one's pretty poor. The problem was I had to weigh those against like, say, the big dramatic highs, like the reveal of like the Ash Tyler Klingon within in The Wolf Inside, which is like a, ser- a season highlight. There's great stuff in season one, but it's such like a battle between very clunky storytelling and moments that are just legitimately exciting that I had to rank this one lower than... Maybe even emotionally, I'd like to rank it. Okay, uh, fair enough. And uh, I'll, I'll share my thoughts uh, a little bit on uh, Discovery Season 1 once we get there. Uh, what is your number eight? My number eight is Picard Season 3. And I think this is actually going to be rather polarizing to hear uh, <laughs> for some people. Picard Season 3, to me, is just... It never really soared with me. And I can kind of understand like why it feels like such a home run for so many which is that like when they announced that Patrick Stewart was coming back as Picard the excitement was palpable I was in the room when Patrick Stewart walked out I was cheering away uh with everyone else and season one and two of Picard just did not deliver anything I think anyone wanted from a Picard show and so like I give season three some you know definite credit for basically giving people what they want but it also often felt like it was giving people what they want where I had a lot of like action-based storytelling. They had some really interesting ideas. I loved Amanda Plummer's villain, but like they set up this whole backstory that this is a, you know, changeling that had endured war crimes at the hand of Starfleet. And that is all dropped so we can have a big glorious, you know, villain exploding in space moment, like a real fist pump moment. It just feels like the show never committed to anything that I found particularly compelling. It was like just here's the characters you love. We're going to have evolution, especially characters like Jordy and Data that work. But there was a lot of stuff that did not fly for me. And I just thought like the entire Borg Queen reveal and everything that came from the, um, you know, supermodel <laughs> Borg 20-year-olds taking over ships and the scale of that that did not feel like it was ever represented in a convincing way on the show. All that stuff falls really flat. So I'm excited to see the crew back. I like seeing all these actors back in, you know, classic Star Trek mode. But I don't look at Picard season three as maybe the triumph so many do. I think it's a, uh, the legacy of Picard the series. Um, it's going to be <laughs> like, there's still a lot of people like pumping their fists at the show overall. Yeah. And I wonder how much of it is just people loving that last season, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and maybe loving some moments in those first two seasons. I just wonder if we, uh, I always think about the legacy of a lot of these Star Trek series and, and how much the legacy of Enterprise has been revisited and how it was i was a fan at the time i was on the message boards at the time it was not a well-regarded series at the time yeah i've come around on it and you can tell that a lot of people have come around on it and i just wonder though if um people are not (laughs) are going to be a little bit more critical of star trek picard as the years go on and they're going to sit down and watch it and they're going to be like wait what is this like Wow, they they actually put this on television, and they gave them uh, enormous budgets for this, and everybody agreed to do this. Like this is this is very strange, especially when you had like two seasons that were kind of written on the fly, and yeah. just like I don't know. Um, maybe we, speaking of legacy, maybe we'll get a Star Trek legacy spinoff um, for you know some reason. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not holding my breath for that. But uh, Cam, for me, uh, my number seven. It, it Or you know what? I'm sorry. It's my number eight. Uh, so I, I got a good chuckle uh, uh, not too long ago when you kept saying, you know, we were so excited for season three of Discovery because we love Discovery. <laughs> we thought it was the best thing. We were we were laughing our asses off the whole series because it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in Star Trek. And we and I was like, eh, okay, well, yeah. Um, Cam was having la- like laughing gas while he was watching it, like those people watching Buster Keaton shorts <laughs> in uh, season three of uh, Discovery. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I put uh, Discovery season two at number eight here. I think it is. It's got 
I, I, I mean, I'm sorry to say it, it's got Anson Mount going for it and it's got Ethan Peck going for it. Otherwise, it is a story about Red Angels that never made any sort of sense. Uh, Starfleet uh, never explained why it mattered and why, you know, Pike was assigned to this mission to discover these or study these Red Angel phenomena. And it is like, so the thing is like the writers knew what it was in their heads, but they never explained to the audience. So it, it's hard to get latched on to what the stakes of are the show when you don't ever know. Uh, I think it's kicked off great. I was, when I first, first saw those first two episodes, uh, brother and new Eden, I was like, wow, they found star Trek, you know, like uh, season one of discovery had its problems. Uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, as you outlined, but uh, really seems as if uh, they've now found the groove here. And then the show kind of fell into a pattern that we've witnessed again and again and again with Discovery in which the story is just so unwieldy and then they just drag it out and the Red Angel stuff just never worked for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for me, it like it gave us the Strange New Worlds spinoff, essentially. That's probably its greatest legacy at this point. Um, you know, there, there's some cool moments, you know, like an Obel for Charon, you know, which mm -hmm. we get the uh, death scene, quote unquote, with one... Uh, Saru, you know, but then I realized in my head, like, you can't go back to that well again. You can't ever put Saru's life in such peril because then it essentially, like, evaporates whatever meaning was behind that uh, quote-unquote death scene in A Noble Charon. So, you know, I'm definitely a lot more mixed, I think, on uh, Discovery Season uh, 2 than you are. Mm, yeah, I have this one higher up. Um, it's funny how, like, though, when I look at both Season 1 and 2 Discovery... It managed to like really sometimes hit its dramatic beats far better than some of the other shows we've looked at so far. Um, in the first two seasons, and then it yeah. went when you, <laughs> and then after as the show goes on, you're like, what? What is the show? Who is the show for? I do not know. But, as uh, all the fun characters get written out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ash Tyler, yeah. the funnest character of all, especially him. Um, yeah. Okay, my number seven is uh, Star Trek Lower Decks uh, season one. Here, you know, uh, this was a show that uh, I think it's fair to say at this point, it, it started off a little rough, you know, um, and it was just every episode concluded with space aliens invaded it. And then I think once we got to uh, episode five, um, uh, Cupid's errant arrow in which I was tackling kind of uh, Boimler's girlfriends, you know, that to me, I was like, oh, I am laughing out loud. Like, this is legit funny. They've kind of figured out the pacing of that. And then I think from there on, they, they kind of got into like a a, a stronger pace that, or, or one that I at least like uh, latched onto a lot more. And so, um, yeah, for me, it, it was definitely uh, Lower Decks season one is where my number seven is. That's my number seven as well. And it's funny when we look back on season one, like that's the season that made us excited for more lower decks. And it is that back half. And that's kind of the problem is that, you know, Cupid's Arrow is the one that kind of marks the kind of the pivot point. And you've got some really great stuff. Like the finale is fantastic. Veritas is a lot of fun as well. But like those first five are just kind of like very chaotic storytelling, just throwing things at the screen. And so when I'm like having to look at the season overall, that really does drag it down in the rankings. But it is a very fun season, you know, especially those like last five episodes. All right, Cam, what is your number six? My number six, I have it a little higher than you, was Lower Decks Season 3. And the reason this one ranked a little higher for me was, especially in comparison to Lower Decks Season 4, I was going through like the episodes, and we did a rewatch fairly recently anyway, but I was just like thinking, like I thought you know the episode Grounded with you know the Zephram Cochran <laughs> you know, theme park and everything like that was so much fun. And I liked the creative solutions they found to their central problem there. You had the really interesting Rutherford backstory episode. Um, I really enjoyed the finale. And then like you had the DS9 visit. I feel like the high points of season three Lower Decks were strong enough to elevate it above some of the other shows that I put below it. Um, there are some maybe like okay episodes in here, but overall I felt pretty good about season three and maybe it was actually the revisit we did relatively recently that kind of elevated a little more for me. Whereas I think when I walked out of it and we, after we finished season three, I kind of was like, yeah, that was pretty good, but I feel a lot better about it now. Okay. Uh, my number six here is Star Trek Discovery season one, where Again, you, you kick it off with two episodes where I'm like, wow, they are really trying to subvert our expectations with Star Trek. I, I'm excited about where it goes from there. 
you follow up a, a few episodes later with uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, which I thought was just Star Trek at its zenith in this Kurtzman era right here. I thought they had kind of figured things out. And I was like, you know, okay, um, you, you, you pick it up with a mid-season finale just a few episodes later, uh, Into the Forest We Go. I thought, I was like, oh man, this, this show is rocking here. I, I really thought that there was much more confidence and much more of an identity with the show, even though, again, it was very clear that they were kind of making it up <laughs> as they were going along. Um, we've heard that during conventions. Uh, it does not surprise me. Um, you know, Cam, I agree with you. The Klingon War stuff never worked. It felt as if it was the chillest war you could ever imagine. Um, <laughs> the only time we ever felt any tension is when they suddenly arrived back from the Mirror Universe and the timeline was a little disrupted and they arrived back eight months later after they had left and it was clear that the war is going very poorly for the Federation. I was like, okay, thank you. Now, now I feel some tension here. But then you follow it up and it's like you're pulling like spores out of a planets like crust and then you're hanging around like orions on chronos and planting thermonuclear weapons in the <laughs> lava veins of chronos so you as a federation operative can you know essentially stage a coup and have kind of your uh your chancellor puppet installed aka laurel here i was just like really um but cam i'm sorry that final image and the final musical cue of the Enterprise, the 1701, just showing up. It was so cheap, but I loved yep. it, Cam. I it just I I jumped out of my couch and uh, uh, I I my I tapped my feet in the air midair, you know, right when that happened. We live in a world now of you know post credit scenes and teasers for sequels and all that sort of thing, and. <laughs> At this point, I'm often very cynical of them. You and I went and saw the Marvels relatively recently where we had teases at the end for future projects and you and I just had blank stares on our faces. This Enterprise one, though, at the end of Season 1 Discovery was one of the most exciting moments I've had in front of my television in the last decade. I was so excited. I could not wait to see where Discovery was going to go in Season 2. And, uh, I mean, cheap, yeah, but boy, was it effective. Okay. Uh, Cameroon, uh, where are you in your rankings next for, I guess, uh, we're on number five here. Yeah, my number five was Discovery Season 2. And this season also just holds like a very <laughs> special place in my heart. I just feel like we had so much fun podcasting on these episodes. I agree. The Red Angel stuff was a mess. And you and I sat there and tried to figure out how the Red Angel was involved with the New Eden episode and how that ties together. I don't think it does at all. Uh, you also had Saints of Imperfection, which was a very rough episode, maybe the worst assembled episode of Star Trek ever. Um, but outside of that, this ep this whole season to me was just such like an injection of life into this show where you had, you know, Michelle Yeoh joining the show as like an ongoing presence and just bringing so much energy. You had the addition of Pike and Spock, who I thought really delivered a lot. You had Jet Reno coming onto the show and getting a couple episodes throughout the run. And it just felt like even if the storytelling wasn't necessarily always up to par, the energy of the show kind of blew past it. I remember Alex Kurtzman said, you know, Discovery is like a bullet. And this may be the season where that actually somewhat held true and that I was flying through these events and excited by what I was seeing and not necessarily taking as much time to really go, wait a second, I don't know that this all holds up. It just feels like this was a season that really coasted on an energy that I could connect with. And it's the season that I recall having the most fun with watching Star Trek Discovery. I know, you're you're cackling like a madman uh, the entire time. <laughs> that uh, finale, the finale you know, of uh, Sweet Sorrow Part 2, it was like the most epic thing I'd seen <laughs> in any sort of new Star Trek, and I was so excited. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, it was busy. It was definitely busy. It was. Oh, uh, yeah. And I should say, you really enjoyed the live reading of that episode when they did that during the pandemic, right? The live reading of that episode. Uh, remind me again. Yes, the uh, cast of Star Trek Discovery did a live reading of Sweet Sorrow Part Two at like a virtual convention. Did I skip that? I think the whole world skipped it. <laughs> okay. Okay. There you go. Uh, for me, uh, it my number five here is uh, Picard, season three. I thought that maybe 
This is where they should have started off, you know, season one. And then hopefully they kind of would have found their groove. You know, it, it's they, they knew from the day one what they really wanted to do. Everybody except for Patrick Stewart really wanted to do was a next gen <laughs> reunion, you know. Yeah. And um I think they did as well as I could have hoped based on the creative output that came prior uh-huh. to um uh Picard season three. Um was it a home run? No, not at all. I'm not nearly on board with it as so many folks are out there. Um uh, I, I, I'm even though you have it ranked a little bit lower, I think you and I are mostly on the same page. Uh, I, I think the best thing I ever did was uh, I turned my nitpicky, critical thinking, storytelling sort of brain off, and I went and watched the last 15 minutes of episode nine to lead into the final, what was it, a 70 minute finale, and I... I just went with it. I didn't try to think too hard about what was going on and kind of just, I, I went with the emotion of it. And I think it works so much better for me than being kind of the nitpicky sort of podcaster. And so I, I genuinely understand why folks are really into that. You know, mm. um, I don't, I mean, the, the Amanda Plummer villain didn't really quite work for me the way that it sounds like maybe she did for you. Like there is, uh, the performance did. It's very one note as delivered on the, on the show, but the performance I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it just it was one of those things where she is clear she was just a tool, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, but I mean, are changelings supposed to just be tools, and uh, ultimately a a tool for the Borg Queen? And I was like, huh, that's kind of dopey, you know. Uh, we understood her motivations, but it took what like halfway through the season to do that, and then at a certain point, you know, the villain's just taking stupid pills again. And Again, Cam, whenever you have the episodes where there's hostages being taken, you know, the only thing worse are like car chase <laughs> episodes, right? Where it's just like, oh, God, you got to sit there. And it's just, it's just such a drag. That all said, Cameron, um, the return of Jordy LaForge, they really <laughs> rehabilitated that character. And LeVar yeah. Burton hit it out of the ballpark. I should have been so much more annoyed that one um, uh, data was kind of coming back. You know, like we had like Brent Spiner... All three seasons. He was even like a regular cast member in season two uh, yeah. it, it, in a pretty bad performance on the part of Brent Spiner. I, I like that, that Adam Soon character was terrible and Spiner played him terribly. But it was great to see, despite the farewell that I thought was excellent in season one to Data, I like seeing Data back and an, an evolution of Data and one that I could buy and understand. I thought that was great as well. Um, Frank's had some moments. I, I Again, Troy... Despite what they gave her in the Penthe, they gave her garbage water to drink in terms of story for her. And I was not all in on Commando Crusher, you know, that I thought that was kind of dopey. Yeah. Also, she ghosted all of her friends, and then she and uh, Deanna are just besties, like, uh, within an hour again. I'm just like, uh, okay. Um, it was so awesome having the presence of Worf on screen again. That presence was great. They did nothing interesting with Worf's character. And, and that was kind of a bummer for me. Um, remarkably, Ed Spielier uh, as Jack Crusher, that could have been such a bad idea. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I, I mean, some of the dopey Borg stuff was, was lame, but um, the performance, uh, he was fantastic. He had charisma. He did not embarrass himself. I, I loved it there. Yeah, I just didn't like what they often did with that character, where it's him having those like visions, and then that like legendary moment uh, where he's like psychic fighting with like Jordy LaForge's daughter or something, or he's like controlling her. Do you remember that? It was so weird. Yeah, it wasn't very good. No, no. <laughs> All right, what's your number four, sir? My Actually, number I guess four. it's my turn to. How dare you, Cam? It's my number four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Lower Deck season two. Man, this is like like a show like uh really felt as if it was coming into its own uh and it, it really felt like it had figured out what it was going to do. Again, the first half of the season, um it was it it wasn't kind of running on all cylinders like the first or like the second half of season 1, but again, they had they kept telling like just fascinating stories. And they kept bringing our characters to really interesting places. And it felt as if the characters had journeys going on and i think one of our big complaints of seasons three and four lower decks is that the the characters journeys have felt a lot more scattershot and Mm -hmm. not so much in season two and the um 
ongoing Freeman and Mariner stuff, there's always the potential for it to get old. And I don't think it's gotten old yet. And I think this is when it was probably at, at Zenith where they're, they're trying new things out and kind of the dynamic really worked for me here. So yeah, I, I have Lower Deck Season 2 here at number four. I have it in the exact same spot. And I remember being frustrated at the time, as were you, that like the first five episodes are like, huh, we really thought the show had itself figured out at the end of season one. And it took a little bit of time to get there in season two, which is maybe why it's not a little bit higher up my rankings. But like you read out like the last five episodes of the season. You've got the Spy Humongous, which was like a very funny episode. You have Where Pleasant Fountains Lie with the Billups like you know, mother's story, which was hilarious. You have I Excretus, which has the whole classic Boimler trying to beat the Borg test story. You've got Wedge Douge or Three Ships, which introduced Talin and like the Klingon ship. That was really ambitious, exciting Star Trek storytelling. And then you wrap it up with First First Contact, which was also like a pretty fun, you know, finale episode where you ended it with a great cliffhanger with Freeman being arrested. It just felt like season two Lower Decks was the one that even if it took a little bit of time to get there, it really clicked. And I really wish that, you know, I do feel like when we got to season four, the episodes have gone down a little bit in quality from what we were getting in those last five of season two. I wish they could kind of like keep the quality around the point of the weakest of those five. And then we would have a show where I think like every season ranked a lot higher. I think that would be fantastic. What a phenomenal yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, Sir, you're number three. My number three is Prodigy Season 1. I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, if you had told me, you know, some years ago that I would rank the Nickelodeon Star Trek Kids show at my number three of the best of the 14 new Star Trek seasons, I wouldn't have believed you. And yet this show has clicked so highly with me. And, you know, it's all there. The characters feel like the writers actually understand who they are from the first episode. That's nuts. <laughs> I understand the Diviner as a character and what he wants and what his story is. You can't say that about a lot of the villains of New Trek. Everything about this show feels like it's made with so much love and people that legitimately not only love the franchise, because I think other people who've been making lower-ranking seasons of Star Trek uh, of this new era really love Star Trek, but like it feels like the writers of this show not only love Star Trek, but are like really, really, really good TV writers who know how to make compelling individual episodes that link together into an overall story that is just like really propulsive, really exciting, and tells us things about our characters that are surprising and feel original in a world of Star Trek storytelling where you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of characters going through journeys like prodigy is the show that i think is the most surprising and the one that i can't wait to see continue and hopefully it gets more than just season two on netflix well cam like we walked into this thing it's like oh this would be like a kind of kiddie show uh, it turned out no it was more in the vein of kind of those pixar family oriented stuff you know and just the way that it captured the spirit of Star Trek, it, that i i was really truly like blown away and it, it, it's something that I think we had really been desperately waiting for for a long time with a lot of the other shows, you know, even though as much as we loved uh, maybe the, the tone of Lower Decks, it wasn't quite the same spirit we had recalled uh, from, you know, the, the 90s. Um, this captured it, and I cannot wait to see what we have in Season 2 in store. Um just because they went to so many different places and just even made us like care about like um, a hologram version of Janeway in a way that mm -hmm. I did not think possible. And yeah. you know, the, the show could have easily fallen on some certain like crutches and look, th there's fan service, but it all seemed to be in service of the characters ultimately. And that's all I could ever ask for. And they actually, here's the thing. They actually, they actually created characters that uh, are, are very entertaining and have, uh, nuance and pathos and they feel layered and it feels as if their actions are being decided by who they are as character versus you know what the plot dictates here so yes i have prodigy at my number three as well and it's interesting because i remember when we reviewed the first episode there was a lot of very derivative elements in that premiere and that there was a lot of like, oh, that feels like it's stripped out of a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie or whatever. Like a lot of it felt kind of like things we'd seen in a billion other properties. But it's like the show almost became self-aware of that out of the gate and just dropped those elements. And it felt 
way more like just Star Trek storytelling once you got past that initial, you know, like first story, like that first, I think it was like two episodes combined into a single story for the, the way that show started. So once you got past that initial pilot story, it felt like we understand what this show is. We don't need to kind of fall back on established things that people like. All right, Cam. Uh, my number two, we're going with Strange New Worlds, season two here. Um, to me, this didn't quite have the spirit of an excitement of the first season where you just felt kind of blown away almost every single episode going in. But the episodes that did pop, like, holy moly. Like, uh, there was stuff that I'd never seen before in Star Trek. And yes, I'm talking about the city of Toronto. I'd never seen that before in Star Trek. And just, uh, <laughs> you know, did not know that Khan was Canadian. You know, that, that totally blew me away. I think there were some missteps. You know, uh, Carol Kane... <laughs> I, I don't know if she's really gonna be needed for season three i, I just yeah. don't think that quite worked but look if you get episodes like um uh uh charades you know in which you've got um i never i never thought about how easy it would like just turning spock fully human could turn into like such an amazing episode there uh mm -hmm. and then you also have like those old scientists in which you've got the crossover episode that's long been awaited with the Lower Decks crew as well. And I think it was like the best Lower Decks adventure we actually got in 2023 as well. Um, Cam, I know that the uh, <laughs> the musical episode was a little polarizing. Not for me. I, no. I dug just how audacious it was and how this is a show that felt confident. You could tell going in. And there, there were some issues here. You know, it's very clear that... Um, uh, Anson Mount was on paternity leave in the first half of the season, and his absence was missed. Um, I don't know if Hegemony, the, the finale, quite worked for me as the uh, season one finale, but Cam, overall, I, I, I have no problem watching this one uh, again and again and again. Uh, <laughs> I have a problem doing that with Discovery season four, which, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. I have Strange New World season two in the same spot as you. And I think it would be my number one if Anson Mount hadn't been so absent in the first chunk of episodes. I think there is an energy that comes from him on the show that is invaluable. And losing that, you lose a little bit of spark of magic to this show. But when I look at like the episodes that clicked with me, you know, I think the premiere, Broken Circle, was actually a really engaging uh you know, story. It had some goofy stuff with like the extended fighting sequence with Mabenga and Chapel. I didn't care for, but overall, I actually quite enjoyed that episode. And then, like, yeah, as you said, Char Charades was like an incredibly fun episode. Those old scientists was like that's gonna be a milestone in Star Trek. Same with Subspace Rhapsody, which to me is just like the, one of the most joyful episodes of Star Trek ever, and when I could sit down and watch any day of the week. And Hegemony, it's not as strong as the previous season finale for Strange New Worlds, but it is really cool in a lot of its storytelling. Like, this season, to me, it's just... It's that Ensign Mount factor, but boy, like, what I appreciate about the season also is that it feels like, as you said, they're very confident, and even the episodes that don't work. For example, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, the, you know, 21st Century Earth episode, it doesn't 100% click, but... That is a kind of daring, odd episode of Star Trek. And it's not an episode made by a show that's really nervous. That's one where they go, you know what? The audience is going to come spend like a full hour, because <laughs> it was an hour, wandering around Toronto, like on the trail of Child Khan with La'an. And it kind of held my attention. I didn't care for the episode overall that much, but... It felt like the kind of swings that Anson Mount promised when he was doing press and convention appearances before season two started. Like, even their episodes didn't click 100%. I felt like they were trying for something wild, which, as a huge fan of TOS, that's something I appreciate, where you never know what you're going to get week to week. And sometimes you'll tune in because you can't wait to see a Star Trek horror episode, and you wind up watching Cat's Paw and going, oh, okay. <laughs> that's how I felt about season two, Strange New Worlds. Didn't always connect with me, but I appreciated them trying different things all the time. All right, Cam. I, I guess we kind of figured out what our number one is. Our, our lists have really <laughs> been very much the same here, but uh, why don't you tell me, Cam? Why don't you tell me what my number one is? <laughs> well, it's Strange New Worlds Season 1 uh, yeah. taking the top spot. And 
I do wonder how much of that has to do with just kind of that sense of discovery, pardon the pun, of like connecting with this crew in this first season. And not only connecting with this crew, who I think were really well cast and all had a significant amount to do, maybe outside of um, Erica Ortegas, but it just felt like such a well-honed cast and like the energy was so infectious. And the fact that you got to open with some actually genuinely good episodes, you didn't even have to make apologies for the show, being like, well, I like the tone and I like the characters, and hopefully the show catches up to that. <laughs> it felt like when you watched that pr the premiere of the show, the pilot, and you had you know, Pike beaming down to that alien planet and giving that speech, chills. I'm like, sign me up for seven years of this. Like, This is a crew I care about and a vibe I really enjoy, and I don't understand why we haven't been doing this in the previous seasons of live-action Star Trek. Well, it's also a show that revealed new things about itself upon uh, rewatching. You and I both were, were not really fans of uh, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, you know, the Battery Boy episode upon uh, the first time we watched it. Yeah. We go back and hit our uh, 4K uh, sets, and uh, I, we did not even discuss it before we did our review of those 4K sets, but you and I both said um, and found out uh, in real time that we both really came around in this episode so it's, it's so cool mm -hmm. when you have a series that could reveal new things and I, I, it just it, but it's also it, it seems so simple and, and i know that we've heard this pitch before you know where you know they went in and said what if we just made star trek for the sake of star trek it didn't have to be this constant we ain't your daddy's star trek you know like we, we don't need to like burn people alive and um you know uh murder like countless people just to like make it provocative you know like like what if we made star trek a little bit more hopeful and you know i and also i mean the characters popped you know the episodes popped as well i i think you know kind of early on for me you know spock amok you know, like, mm, I'm like, oh, yeah. we get to do, like, a body swap episode of all body swap episodes here. And I, you give it to the performances, you know, with Ethan Peck as well as the woman playing um, T'Pring. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on uh, the performer's name. But, Kim, uh, this is a show that felt, I think what we keep going back to here throughout our discussion uh, today is, um, what are the shows that feel most confident? And I think out of all of them, season one of Strange New Worlds felt most confident of all. Yeah, and yeah, the actress is Gia Sandu. But, like, even, you know, the character of Captain Patel. Like, look how good Strange New Worlds is at making us care about even, like, the smaller supporting characters. And then I look at, like, Star Trek Discovery and some of the small supporting characters I've hung out with for, like, multiple seasons. Like, Bryce, for example. Like, I don't know anything about this person. And so, like, I really appreciate what Strange New Worlds is doing where... Any of its recurring characters, it seems invested in them and wanting you to be, you know, caring about where these characters go. Like, that's what I've enjoyed so much about this show. And season one, you have the Elysian Kingdom, which, of course, is a terrible episode. But I feel like it stands out so much more because everything around it is really good and really fun. Even like a, you know, mediocre episode in the season is still pretty involving, like the Serene Squall. So, like, the Elysian Kingdom, had that fallen in, like, season four of, say, uh, Discovery, we would probably be like, well, th that stunk, but the show came to life this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, Cam, moving forward, uh, we still have, you know, Section 31. Uh, it looks as if that's going to get made. We've got Discovery Season 5. Yeah. We've got Lower Decks Season 5 and Dis and Strange New Worlds Season 3. Those are kind of... And Prodigy Season 2 as well. Um, That's mm -hmm. been secured. We still have a lot of Star Trek ahead. Like, I, I just list off, um, I guess, like, four seasons and three... Or, and five projects coming up here. Um, yeah. It's going to be interesting, like, what this year delivers. I think if we're getting more Star Trek, it's going to be, you know, uh, Discovery first, then Lower Decks after that. I am hopeful maybe at the end of the year we get some Strange New Worlds, but that might not be the case. The real big question mark for me is when exactly we get Star Trek Prodigy. And I'm hoping yeah. that might be able to tide us over in between Discovery and lower decks maybe sometime in the spring because they did say at the convention the uh, the creators of the show said that the um all of season two would be kind of finished and done mm -hmm. by december of this year yeah yeah i'm very optimistic for prodigy and and i just hope this show like gets more of an audience 
on Netflix because, I mean, it just seems like no one was watching it. And it's a show that very much deserves an audience. And I would like to see it having just a bigger presence, you know, at the conventions and having merchandise out there and all that sort of thing. Like, I'm sure they probably wanted when they launched a show, but didn't necessarily grab the eyeballs with the approach they had of putting out two and a half episodes every seven months. Okay. I do have a question for you, though, before we wrap. We've seen some materials for Discovery Season 5. We know, you know, that the the showrunners are coming back for Season 5. When we look at our rankings for 1 through 14 here, if you were to, like, gaze into a crystal ball, where do you see Discovery Season 5 landing? And this is not to, like, pinpoint accuracy, more about, like, your optimism as to what you're going to see. Uh, okay. Um... I, I, w- I would put it in between uh, my number 10 ranking, which was Lower Deck Season 4, and my number 11 ranking, which is Picard Season 1, I guess. that That's... No, actually, I take that back. I, I, I put it... <laughs> I, 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 I think uh, I, I put it between uh, Discovery Season 3 and Picard Season 1. So it'd be between my current rankings of 11 and 12. I, I, I just... Like that... What we've seen so far... It looks lame, and it's all the stuff that I hate about Discovery, and it's like the show, every single year the show announces it's going to do some reset, and we're like, we're going to be fun, and guess what? It always falls into that trap of being miserable, and the story drags, and what we've been promised is a long, serialized story, and it doesn't sound very interesting to me. I'm going to give it a slight benefit of the doubt and actually put it where you initially were convincing yourself it would land i'm gonna put it just above picard season one and that's at slot number 11 so i'll put it number 10 as my guess because i'm hoping the 10 episode shorter season will have some momentum and that if they're going to do some sort of like item quest that's kind of a race against time that maybe it'll have some actual pace but i'm just going to try to gamble and hope that discovery can at least at the end of the day as we wrap up that entire show deliver a final season that is better than seasons three and four <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter that it's 10 episodes long <laughs> it's still gonna be four episodes worth of story <laughs> yeah I, I suspect you're probably right about that but we'll have to revisit that another day um okay so on that note our assignment is complete if you enjoyed listening to this podcast we want to hear from you jump on over to the facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod tyler what are we doing next week uh, maybe we talked a little bit about mediocre villains in Star Trek. Well, Kim, why don't we talk next week about perhaps the greatest villain in Star Trek? We are going to tackle the evolution of one Gold Dukat. And uh, he's a character who had quite the journey throughout the seven seasons of Deep Space Nine. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Unlike all our other episodes. <laughs> I think so, too. I am always down to talk Dukat because... My God, did that character have a lot of momentous moments along the road. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Okay, you can... Are you a Dukat stan? (laughs) I am. I am, actually. Yes, I suppose I am. Okay, so you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in Visions of the Elysian Kingdom. Shudder, shudder, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And as in... Piccolo of Plot Convenience as featured in uh, Picard Season 1, you know, that season finale uh, where they gave, you know, the Rios that device that seemed to solve everything. So there you go. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. I think the best thing to ever happen to Picard Season 1 was Picard Season 2. <laughs>